Good morning. Wow, what a team. I guess she wants to show you her mad skills again. I told her I wanted her to play while I share with you. Um, how many of you were here last Sunday and you heard about the donuts? Okay. Well, this morning, before our second service, Anthony and Evelyn brought a box of donuts for us. You'll be proud to know that there was both glazed as well as chocolate old-fashioned. And Pastor Angel remembered to leave the chocolate old-fashioned donut alone. Because now I remember that is the donut of my wife's choice. Her delight is chocolate old-fashioned donuts. Come on, I, I think I deserve a... And thank you, Anthony and Evelyn, for putting me to the test. <laughs> well, we have been focusing on the cast of Christmas. We have been looking at the cast of characters that are found throughout the Christmas story. We began by focusing on the prophets, and then we looked at the angels' uh, proclamation and song that they sung. And then last week, we looked and focused on the shepherds, and today we'll be finalizing this series focusing on the magi or otherwise known as the wise men but before we delve into today's message i want to share with you what i've heard concerning the four stages in the life of a man stage number one he believes in santa claus stage number two he doesn't believe in santa claus stage three he is Santa Claus. And then stage four is, he looks like Santa Claus. Right? Today, as we look at Matthew's gospel, we're going to go to the second chapter. And I want to focus on verses 1 through 12. Because it is here that we find the other cast members of the Christmas story. Matthew 12, or Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12 reads as follows. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me 
that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, some time ago, I came across an article that spoke of an email that had been sent out. And it started with a question. Do you know what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men? (laughs) First, they would have asked for directions. Secondly, they would have arrived on time. Third, they would have helped deliver the baby. Fourth, they would have cleaned the stable. Fifth, they would have made a casserole. (laughs) And sixth, they would have brought practical gifts. How many married men do I have here? Raise your hand. Be bold. Don't be afraid. Be bold. They would have asked for directions. Well, hello, if you read the passage, the wise man did ask for directions. Man, man, you are weak. That's a good place to say amen. I'm trying to vindicate you. And then they would have arrived on time. Married man, come on. When was the last time your wife was on time? <laughs> now, this one, they would have helped deliver the baby. Yes. <laughs> I'd be in the back in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, you can do it. <laughs> they would have cleaned the stable, maybe, yeah. They would have made a casserole. That sounds so good, doesn't it? But these guys traveled about a thousand miles to get to where Jesus was. Think of the condition of the casserole by the time they got there. And they would have brought practical gifts. These guys brought gold, money. How many men would prefer money? Gold. Thank you. That way you get to buy the gift you really want, right? Now, as I looked at this passage this past week, and I was meditating on this passage of Matthew 2, 1 through 12, there's something that spoke to my heart from it concerning the cast of Christmas that is referred to here. And it is this. There are haters, knowers, who are knowers. And then there are seekers who don't stop till they find what they've been seeking. When you look at this passage, you discover the three types of people there are. There are haters, there are knowers, and there are seekers. First, we see Herod. He is a hater. Herod the hater. In fact, when you read the New Testament, 
you will discover throughout the New Testament that the Herods that are mentioned, they were haters seeking to stop the work of God. The Revival Study Bible points out King Herod was known for his brutality and immoral life. His name, meaning hero, from Herodas, a compound version of heroes, a hero, symbolizes one of the most formidable satanic foes of revival. Repeatedly in Scripture, kings named Herod attempted to murder while the things of God were still in their infancy in an effort to squelch the God-given answers to prayer for harvest and revival. And so we see Herod here. He was determined through his plotting and his ploying to exterminate Jesus, the child who represented God's answer to the prayers of his people, who represented the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament prophets of a deliverer and redeemer for his people Israel. He was a hater, just like the other Herod mentioned in Matthew 14, the Tetrarch. Herod, the Tetrarch, he is the one who had John beheaded. And then when he heard of Jesus' ministry flourishing, he thought it was John the Baptist resurrected, operating again in advancing the work of God's kingdom. And then we have another Herod mentioned in Acts chapter 12 who killed James and then was intent on killing Peter as well and had him incarcerated during the peace of uh, the feast of Passover. But the Bible says in Acts 12, 5, that even though he was planning, he was ploying, he was plotting to have Peter killed, it says in Acts 12, 5, but the church prayed and the end result was that God through an angel delivered he delivered Peter out of prison and in the day of Jesus as a young child God secured Jesus protection he preserved him he kept him in spite of Herod the hater and I want to say to you that if you're a child of God you can be in a sure you can be in in a state of calmness no matter what your haters are plotting or ploying whatever God has promised you whatever God has you here to fulfill that purpose cannot be thwarted it cannot be stopped it cannot be exterminated in spite of the plots and ploys of the devil I want to remind you haters are going to hate but God is going to elevate haters are going to hate but God is going to vindicate for he said no weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue that will rise against you in judgment will be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is of me says the Lord. Isaiah 54 17. So in spite of the fact that Herod the hater was set his will was set to destroy Jesus. He couldn't do it because the hand of God was on Jesus and the Bible says of believers in 1 Peter 1 5 who are 
kept or shielded by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So when you leave today, you don't have to look over your shoulder in fear that maybe somebody's trying to hunt you down. Child of God, the Lord is your keeper. He's going to keep you in your going out and in your coming in in spite of your haters. And then we have the chief priest and the scribes. These are the knowers. These are the knowers. <laughs> now, in one of my Bibles that I use for study called the Full Life Study Bible, it points out that chief priests were the temple ministers in charge of worship. Scribes were copyists of Scripture in Old Testament times. They became the teachers of the law and consequently were called lawyers in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. Together, the scribes and Pharisees constituted the Sanhedrin or the Jewish Senate and Supreme Court. This was composed of approximately 70 to 71 men who have the charge of the civil and religious affairs of the Jews and were given considerable authority under the Roman Empire. Now, we know that when the wise men arrived to Herod, they inquired regarding where the child would be. And the chief priests and scribes, they, having knowledge, told the wise men what had been prophesied 700 years before through Micah the prophet. They quoted out of Micah 5.2 in revealing to these wise men where they would find the young child. But what I want you to notice is that in spite of their knowledge, they were not willing to accompany the wise men in their journey to arrive where the young child Jesus was. You see, that's how religious people are. They are satisfied with just having head knowledge. And I know I've come across religious people that when you're trying to help them, they'll tell you, I know. I know that already. You, yeah, you can know it up here. But until it gets here, you will not be transformed. Because Jesus, when he said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He was not talking about an intellectual truth. No, the word that he uses speaks of a truth that you know intimately, that you know experientially. God didn't give us his book, the Bible, so that we could have a swelled head full of information about God. God gave us the book the Bible so that through his spirit like the wise men we would pursue him with passion so that we will not just know about him but that we would know him intimately profoundly for ourselves and here's what I've discovered religious people are content to just know the track they just don't care to take the trek. They weren't willing to get on their feet and move toward where the young child was. But the wise men were. There was an evangelist back in the day by the name of John R. Rice. And he pointed out, you can be 
as straight as a gun barrel theologically and as empty as a gun barrel spiritually. There are people that have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but their lives are dry and they're empty. Why? Because the Bible was not meant for your information. It was meant for your transformation. And it's when you and I, like the wise men say, I don't just want to know about. I want to know myself. I want to know myself. That brings me to this third group that makes up the cast of Christmas in our story. It's the wise men. They can be identified as seekers. They were seekers. And what were they seeking? They were seeking the king. They were seeking the king, the promised one. And why were they seeking to get to him? So that they could worship. They could worship. Now, the Greek word that is found here in Matthew 2 for worship, it's proskineo. And it means, notice, to prostrate oneself at the feet of a king. Proskineo, to prostrate oneself at the feet of a king. What is interesting is that Matthew, Matthew consistently uses the verb worship, proskineo, to describe the attitude and posture of people before Jesus. Here in Matthew 2, verses 8 and 11, it's used in reference to these three wise men. When they would arrive to the home where the young child Jesus was, they would come and they would worship Him. And the word means to either kneel or prostrate oneself before the King. But it is also used in the 8th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, where we find a man that was bound by leprosy. Leprosy was eating up his body. But the Bible says that he came before Jesus and he worshipped him. In other words, he bowed at his feet. He bowed before him. And he said, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And the Bible says that Jesus touched him and immediately he was healed of his leprosy. Then this word is found in Matthew 9 18, where a ruler whose young daughter has just died comes to Jesus and he bows before Jesus and he points out to Jesus my young daughter has just died but I know that if you'll come back to, with me to my home you can resurrect her and then it is used in Matthew 14 after the disciples had experienced Jesus authority and power calming the storm when he stood up in the middle of the boat while his disciples were panicked and said, Peace, be still. And the storm ceased and there was a great calm. Then the Bible says that these disciples who were in panic mode during the storm, now after Jesus quieted the storm, they turned into worship mode. And it says they worshipped Him. And they said, Truly, You are the Son of God. You see, we don't worship Jesus just because he's like another God. No, he is the only true and wise God. We worship him. We worship Him because we know there is no condition that can inflict my body, that He does not have the power.
power to change. There is no sickness. There is no disease that King Jesus cannot cure me from. And there is nothing, anything that the world does, anything that happens in this life. I don't have to feel like I'm helpless or I'm hopeless. Just like this father, I can know that not only can Jesus heal, he can also raise the dead for he is the resurrection and the life. And there is no storm that you may be in right now that Jesus cannot calm in your life. Some of you may have come today and you're in panic mode because you're in a circumstance and you have no clue how you're going to work your way out of it. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to try to work your way out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will straighten out your path. I'm here to tell you, He's a way maker. He's a heart regulator. He is is a deliverer. He is a healer. He is a defender. He is a protector. He is a keeper. Woo. Ah, and when these magi came to Jesus, they didn't come empty-handed. They brought gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many of you have gone to Christmas plays at churches and the kids are doing it? Those are setups for great moments. There were the three kids playing wise men in the play. And they were bringing their gifts. The first one said, Jesus, here's my gold. Then the second child comes, Jesus. Here's my Frankenstein. (laughs) Now these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Many scholars have tried to attribute to them symbolism. Gold, some have pointed out, refers to his divinity. The fact that he is more than a man. He is the God-man. He is the ruler. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. And frankincense, it was one of the ingredients that was used in the incense that was brought into the holy place. Right outside of the most holy place, the high priest would come with the incense that included frankincense. And it is symbolic of intercession. And it speaks of Jesus as our high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. But it is also, it also typifies worship. Worship. Because the frankincense is not something that you obtain cheaply. In fact, frankincense is a white resin or gum. It is made from the sap of a tree gathered by the making, by making incisions in the bark and allowing the sap to flow out it is a highly fragrant when burned and it it is therefore used in worship where it is burned and it becomes a pleasant offering to the Lord and I want you to understand something some of you know what it is to be wounded in life some of you know what it is to experience 
deep cuts in your soul. But that's the reason why your worship is more than average. Because it was in those times in which pain was inflicted into your life that you came to discover, but God is greater than my pain. And you experience the fulfillment of His promise in your life. And so when you come to God's house and worship, it's not a patty cake worship. It is not just a let me do my time of worship as a praise and worship team uh, worships. No. When you come, you let the tears flow. When you come, there are times that you even bow before the Lord, even if nobody else is kneeling, because you know I've been cut, I've been wounded deeply, but I'm still here because the Father and Jesus have kept me. They've watched over me. They've provided for me. They've served their grace and mercy for me when I've needed it. And then they brought myrrh, and you know that myrrh was used in preparing the body for burial. It was a prophetic gift that was foretelling that this child was being born to die, to become our atoning sacrifice. Their gifts... We're not cheap. They cost something. And they were gifts worthy of a king. I love the words of Charles Spurgeon who said, Jesus was born that you might be born again. He lived that you might live. He died that you might die to sin. He is risen And today he maketh intercession for transgressors that they may be reconciled to God through him. Come then, believe, trust, rejoice, adore. If you have neither gold, frankincense, nor myrrh, bring your faith, love, your repentance, and falling down before the Son of God. Pay Him the reverence of your hearts. You see, these wise men got it. We were created to worship the only true and wise God. We were created to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what I love about them is that they reveal to us what worship is truly all about. They reveal to us that worship is about who, not what. Worship is about who, not what. Notice in Matthew 2, verse 2, verses 10 and 11, when they had come to Herod, they posed the question, Where is he? Where is who? Where is he? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then it says in that same passage, They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Do you see it? They had come to discover Jesus. They had come for who, not what. They had come for the true 
purpose of worship, which is Him. That's why in Old Testament as well as New Testament, we get our cue from the worship of the heavenly beings. You discover that heavenly beings are not just worshiping what. They are worshiping who. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Ah, thou art worthy to receive glory power, honor, praise, thanksgiving. You see, they understand it's about who, not what. Don't get me wrong. I am not ungrateful for what God has given to me. I am not a complaining child because I haven't gotten enough. I've received many a blessing, but may it never happen that the blessings of God become a distraction that to the point where I'm no longer acknowledging the blesser because it's not about what I get in my hand. It's about who has redeemed me. And they teach us worship is about giving, not getting. Huh. Worship is about giving, not getting. For you parents, this is a lesson that I sympathize with you to have to teach your children. In fact, after service today, I dare you to go up to your child that's a kid's church. Remember, worship is about giving, not getting. And see how that goes. <laughs> One child wrote a letter to Santa which read, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance, signed Alfred. <laughs> now, as I've already mentioned, these wise men traveled about a thousand miles to see the king of the Jews. When they finally, finally found him, they responded with joy, worship, and gifts. The Life Application Bible points out how different... From the approach people often take today. We expect God to come looking for us. To explain himself. Prove who he is. And give us gifts. But those who are wise. Still seek and worship Jesus today. Not for what they can get. But for who he is. They brought gold frankincense and myrrh and did you know that these gifts they provided Jesus and his family with the provision that they needed because after Herod plotted to kill the children two years and under where Jesus was located the Bible tells us that Joseph was warned in a dream by God and was instructed by God to take his family up to Egypt they were poor. We know that because of the offering that they brought at the dedication of Jesus. They were poor. So how could they get from where they were at in Bethlehem to Egypt? Through the provision that was provided through the gifts of the wise men. Ah, the purpose of God will be 
fulfilled because God is faithful to provide, to see that it is accomplished. I want you to understand when you give, you're doing more than helping us keep the lights on here. When you give, you're doing more than helping the heating and the air conditioning system to keep going when we need it here. We are doing more than giving to maintain a building. We are giving and through our giving, God is providing to see that in spite of Satan's attempts, plots and ploys, his kingdom work will not be stopped. It will proceed forward. When you give, you are giving more than finances. You are giving of yourself for your finances are merely an extension of your productivity. Finally, worship is about encounter, not ritual. Worship is about encounter, not ritual. These wise men, they came asking, where is he? What for? So that they could know where to send their gifts? No. They wanted to get to where Jesus was so that they could experience him for themselves. Religious people are happy with, I showed up to church. I heard the preacher. I heard the songs. I met my quota. But not worshipers, not seekers, when they come to God's house, it's not just to fill in time, their time card of religious activity. No, they don't want just to know about God. They come to know God more deeply and intimately. And I want you to know that when you come like these wise men, you will be transformed by your personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Because whenever you encounter Jesus, you are not left the same. You may have come to encounter Jesus as a persecutor, but when you finish experiencing His presence and power, you will turn out to be a preacher just as Paul. You may come to Jesus as a volatile, a person who doesn't know how to handle your emotions but when you experience Jesus and let him do his work in you you will become stable and powerful just as Peter look what the Bible says in Matthew 2 12 then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod they departed for their own country how another way they came to Jesus one way And after encountering Him, they left another way. Look at Ezekiel 46, 9. It says, But when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, those were days of celebration and worship, whoever enters by way of the north gate to do what? Shall go out by way of the south gate. And whoever enters by way of the south gate shall go out by the way of the north gate. Watch. He shall not return by way of the gate through which he came, but shall go out through the opposite gate. What is this declaring? Symbolically, it is stating 
When we come to worship, we are not to leave the same way that we came. I'm saying to you, you may have come here today heavy laden and burdened and sad and depressed, full of anxiety or fear or frustration and anger. But if you have been engaged in worshiping Jesus, I guarantee you, you're not leaving the way you came in. Because when you come like the wise men to have an encounter with Jesus, He will not leave you the same way that you encountered Him initially. He will change you. He will transform you. He will change you from the inside out. I shared in the first service. Something was going on. My mind and heart. And so when I arrived here early this morning to pray. I began to play. uh, Off of my Apple music. Bethel music that. They have this. Record or album entitled. uh, No words. And so I'm praying to the sound of that music. And then there came the part where they began to play instrumentally. I'm no longer a slave. No longer slaves. I am a child of God. And when that song began to play, my mind began to be renewed. And the Holy Spirit was just pointing out, Angel, you are a child of God. You're not who you used to be. You're not that. You are a child of God. And the issue, the emotions that I was battling within began to be changed. And by that time that song was over, I sensed that I had experienced a cleansing, a washing, a renewing, a change of perspective. That's what happens in the presence of God. When we come with vulnerability and honesty and we just present ourselves and acknowledging you are the king, you are the Lord. And here I am to offer myself, Lord, what you'll discover is not only will he receive what you are offering him, but then he will give to you what you didn't even come for. He will give you joy, peace, love. He will give you strength. He will give you wisdom. He will give you help from above. That's what happens in his presence when you come as a worshiper and you say, Lord, I'm not coming to get. I'm coming to give. I present myself as a living sacrifice to you. Lord, I know that I'm not perfect. Lord, I know I still have issues, but God, I want you to have your way in my life. And I'm telling you, God will not leave you on your knees without first touching you and transforming you through His power. That's what He does. That's what He does. Oh, come. Let us adore Him. Because He's Christ, the Lord. Father, I thank You.
There's times, Father, when all I want is to be at the feet of Jesus. Because I know, like Mary, that's the better thing. That's the more beneficial thing. To be at the feet of the one under whose feet are all things. (laughs) The one who is in charge. The one who can heal any type of sickness or disease. The one who is the resurrection and the life. The one who is greater than the storms that even the winds and the waves must obey His Word. I thank You, Jesus, that You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And You're worthy of my worship. And there's no condition in my body or in my soul that You can't change. There's no storm that I face in life that You cannot calm. I come to You, Jesus. I bring me. I bring me. Because me needs an encounter with You. Me needs to be changed. Me needs to know You in my heart. Not just about You in my head. I want to know You. I want to know You. You're here today. You say, Pastor Angel, I want to know Jesus. I want him. I want to have an encounter with Jesus. I need an encounter with Jesus. I want you to come forward right now. This is your opportunity. Like the wise men, take the trek. Don't be like those religious priests and scribes and just be satisfied that you know the track without taking the trek, without taking the journey. It's only those who come to Him that can be changed by Him. It's only those that come to Him that can experience an encounter with Him and His his power. You want that, you come. Join these that are coming right now. He's here. He's here. 